I'm going to ask you to come back to your seats. Sorry to break up good conversation. We have a lot to cover in the Word this morning, so I want to I jump in and get going on this. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are really glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a, a guest with us for the first time. Welcome. We're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. Normally here, we uh, uh, try to go through books of the Bible. And we, uh, this week, though, and, and next few weeks, actually, we're kind of between two series. We just finished a series or walked through a chapter of Colossians. We have another one coming up in a couple of weeks, um, but today is one of those in-between spots, and so it's kind of go more topical today. But let me uh, read the scripture that we're, uh, the passage that we're going to kind of anchor down in today. It's Matthew 6, 19 through 24. If you want to follow along, you can. Um, the scriptures will be up on the screens. If you don't have a Bible at home, um, please take one of those under the seats. That's our gift to you. We think everyone should have a Bible at home. And so that's our gift. Take that. Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray this morning as we walk through this passage, I pray that um, you would speak through me, that your spirit in this place would, would change our minds, would change our hearts, would change the way we live when we leave this place today. And on uh, this topic, there's, there's, there's nothing I can say um, <clears throat> to add anything to your word. There's nothing I can say to convince people's minds, to change people's minds, um, to get people to follow you more. There's nothing I can do. I don't have that power, but your spirit does. So I pray that your spirit would, would move through the word this morning and would change us today. It's your son's name we pray, amen. One of the things, uh, goals that I set out to do at the beginning <coughs> of this year was, was start to eat a little healthier. And we're now in beginning in March. If you guys, many of you, and I'm sure people in general, um, start off to, to start eating healthier at the beginning of the year. And uh, the kind of first question would be, how's that going? This is about the time of year that um, maybe you start, you've dropped off of that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm staying strong. I'm doing pretty good. But the studies show that uh, formal diets have about a 95% failure rate. Um, either they don't do what they're supposed to do or they do what they're supposed to do. And then a year later, like people put on a lot, a lot of the weight and go back to old, old uh, habits really, really quick. So food is one of those things that we're, it's pretty evident, and most of us know, that we have issues with food. Like we crave things we shouldn't crave. It's really hard to say no to the things we should say no to, say yes to the things we should say yes to. Food is a hard thing, and I think culturally we all kind of get that for most of us. Yeah, food's really hard. Diets are hard. They're not fun. But another issue that I think we're a little bit less aware of is the issue of money. 
And as human beings, we like to take things that are neutral, like food and money, and make them godlike. Make them godlike. The passage today we're going, that we're going to look at, you probably could tell, we're going to talk about money today. We're going to talk about money. So here's what I want to say. If you're here and you're a guest or you're far from God, you're not a follower of Jesus, we do not want your money. We don't want it. That's not what we're after. I think, the, I think later on there will be a thing that we're, we're asking you for, but it's not money. Um, money is such a huge deal. Here, here's what I want to tell you, though, if that's you. Money is such a huge deal in our culture, though. I pray that you would listen and consider what Jesus has to say about money because it's important. Money is the thread that works through our lives personally, in communities, in politics, in other countries, and how we deal with other countries. Money comes up everywhere. So as a human being, I think it's probably important enough to, to just consider what Jesus has to say about money. And Jesus speaks relentlessly about money in the Gospels. More than any other subject other than himself, he talks about money. But even when he talks about money, he's not after the money. That's not his primary thing. Jesus is after discipleship. He's after our formation. He's after our heart. But he talks about money so much, he's trying to get to those things through the avenue of money. Because he, know he, he knows he can get to our hearts and our discipleship through money. So we want to follow Jesus as a church. So today, that's not what we're primarily after is your money. We are after your discipleship. We are after your heart. We're after your worship. And we know money has a lot to do with those things. So this is why we're going to talk about money this morning. We're going to talk about money this morning. Um, so the thesis here, if I had a thesis name to kind of give us a direction here, Jesus wants us to treasure him more than money. And as a result of that, we will become a generous people. He wants us to treasure him more than money or anything else, which will lead to being a generous people. And this passage today, I think it's a great summary of a lot of Jesus teaching about money. It's just six verses, but there's so much packed in here. So let's start. Let's walk through this verse by verse. First two verses here, 19 and 20. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is a very straightforward command, right? Jesus gives us this command, very straightforward. Um, he's saying that there's a way to, to view your money and spend your money where you can lay up treasures in heaven. You can invest in the things of the kingdom. You can invest in things of, of heaven. But there's also this other way that you can invest, view your money, and it's laying up treasures on earth that won't last, that, that will be burned up eventually, that, that, that won't last. So this is just good financial wisdom for Jesus, right? Just straightforward command. And if you talk to anybody on their deathbed, they'll, they'll echo these sentiments, Really, anybody. They're not on their deathbed. You ever been around deathbed people? That people are about to die. They know it. They're not talking about their stuff. They're not talking about what their portfolio looked like. They're not talking about how big that house was or how much stuff they had. They're talking, thinking about relationships. They're thinking about legacy. They're thinking about what are the people going to be like that I'm leaving behind here. I think Jesus is getting at this when he lays out this kind of principle for um, how we should view our money. 
But I think he wants to unpack this and, and, and make sure we get this. So let's look at verse 21. It says, for, he's, uh, he does, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you value, what you worship, your heart is going to be in that place as well. What we worship, desire most, fixate upon, will affect the condition of our hearts. It'll affect us. And he goes on to unpack this more in this little illustration he gives in verse 22 and 23. It's kind of a difficult illustration to understand at face value, but um, listen, listen to it. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And what he's trying to say here, just to kind of sum this up without getting too deep in the weeds, he's saying that what we focus on, what we set our sights on, what we covet, what we want, and we kind of do that with our eyes, those things we, we want, it'll change who we are deep, deep down. It'll change our heart. If we covet and desire and want the things that are not of the kingdom, are not of Jesus, it's going to affect us deep, deep down. He says darkness here, become darkness. But if we focus on the kingdom, on Jesus, the light, these kinds, if we fixate on him, then deep, deep down will be light. We'll follow him, be joyful, those kinds of things. Now let's look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. It's almost if Jesus is saying, okay, I've laid out these things in the previous five verses. Let me just give you the, the summary of this. Bottom line, you can't serve God and money. That's what I'm trying to say is what Jesus is saying here. You can't do both. You can't do both. Money, there's something about money that Jesus is trying to warn us of that you can't serve both. There's very few things in the scriptures that he lays out like this, this kind of binary decision of one or the other. You can't do both. And he does it with money. He gives us this illustration in Luke that I think helps us. This is Luke 12 is a parallel passage to Matthew 6. He's talking about the same thing almost verbatim. But in Luke 12, he gives this illustration that I think really helps us, really helps us think through, okay, what does it look like to have money as your treasure rather than Jesus? And he gives it to us here. Verse 15, he's talking to his disciples, but the crowds can overhear him. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard. Warning, hey, be on your guard, be careful, watch out. Against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So this, this man in this parable has done well for himself. He has wealth, okay? Verse 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? It's a farmer, he's had a big harvest, a lot of crops, which for him is everything. A lot of worth, a lot of value, a lot of wealth here. And look at verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Interesting here, Jesus uses soul in this parable. It's kind of a, he goes deep. 
Like the, the soul is what most people, philosophers think, is the center. You can't go any deeper in a human being than a soul. So Jesus lays it out where this man is having a conversation with his soul. This is how deep he's trying to get Jesus, trying to show us that money goes and the love of money. He, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Okay, so he's done well for himself. And barns, obviously, if you can't make that connection between barns and this culture, it's like storage units or portfolio. I would say if you bring that over into our culture, for most of us, we don't do the barns thing. But if it's like, I have all this money, I bought all this stuff, I have new stuff now, I have old stuff now, so this old stuff needs to go in storage units, okay? Or I have all this money, I don't want to buy stuff now, so I'm going to save it up into a portfolio, something that I can have later on. So either one of those can, that equals barns in this, in this culture. Listen to what God said to him. So based off of this man's feelings about his money, God says, fool, exclamation point, you see in the scriptures. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It's basically saying, and this is scary because God is, he has power over life and death. We know that. But it's basically saying, if, you're, if I demanded your life tonight, if you died right now, what's gonna happen with your stuff? What's gonna happen to those barns? You're not gonna get to enjoy them. You're not gonna be eating and drinking and carrying on merrily. See, what happens if you die? What happens to your stuff? Verse 21, so is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What Jesus is trying, the point Jesus is trying to make is that money can quickly become a master over you. It can control you. There's something uniquely powerful about money and wealth that Jesus is trying to warn us about. The place you store up your treasures, where your heart is. Wherever your heart is, that thing owns you. It controls you. It influences you. It's where you get your joy and satisfaction from. It's where your ambition is set. What are you ambitious about? Where, where, where is that direction? It's what you treasure. Question to ask is, are you spending the best of your time and energy pursuing wealth? Or are you spending the best of your time and energy pursuing the things of the kingdom and Jesus? Again, it just goes back to verse 19. He's giving us these two ways to view money, right? Now, I want to tease this out a little bit for us because there are, I think, different things that we look to that, that, that money provides. So yes, money can be a, a master, but how is it? Why is it so seductive in that sense, money and possessions? Well, I think the biggest thing is comfort and security. We love comfort and security as human beings. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. The question is, where are we going to find that comfort and security? We were made by God as human beings to need comfort and security. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things, but money provides it. And what money will have that gives you access to will provide this. So notice in the parable, he's not saying that this man is a fool because he was wealthy. He's not saying he's a fool because he's wealthy. And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Jesus isn't coming down on wealth. He's looking deeper than that. He's calling him fool because he's thinking only about himself. He's building these bigger barns for him to enjoy later. He's not thinking about other people. So he's saying, what, how you're using your money here, it's just foolish. It's out of touch with reality. Why not invest it in things that are going to outlast you, like the kingdom, like the purposes of God? So along these lines of comfort and security, I think, 
for us, and maybe we fall into one of these two categories. I think, I think uh, money can be used now to buy comfort, right? So we get money, we buy stuff that will promise us comfort, okay? Maybe if you're trying to do the labels here, these, these would be our uh, spenders in the room, okay? Spenders in the room, they're just like, I want to buy stuff now. That's kind of where you're bent. But with this guy, he was different. Because I think money can also be used um, to get security now by hoping for pro- these promises of wealth later, okay? So we can, we can take all of our wealth now and save it really, really well because we're savers and we're smart, but all we're doing is saying, I want the comfort later. Like, I, I want the security now, and I want the comfort later, us savers. Maybe the spenders are like, no, I just want my comfort now. So either way, we're turning money into our treasure. We're counting money to give us security and safety and this feeling that everything's going to be okay. Personally, I lean towards being a saver. Right? Like those of you who know me well, I'm kind of infamous for, I get a gift card, I pack that thing away. Like I don't spend that gift card because there's something about having that gift card. If life just falls apart, I'm at least going to have this meal to get, right? Like I get this like warm and fuzzy for having this gift card and I'll pack those things away. I'll bury them in the backyard. Um, not kidding, close, but not, not really. Um, but seriously, I'll, 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 they'll go three or four or five years. I'll pull out a gift card. I'm like that place isn't even for business anymore. Like they closed. I've had so many conversations where I have to get the number on the back and a place is like merged with another restaurant. I'm like, hey, I got a gift card for this place. They like laugh at me because it's so old and I ha- they have to talk to the manager and I got to like finagle my way to be able to use it still, okay? So I am a saver um, by nature. But all I'm doing is I'm just saying I-, I want something behind me into the future that I can really count on for security and comfort later if I need it. I'm not looking to Jesus for my comfort, or Jesus for my security, I'm looking to my, my, uh, my wealth or the gift cards or whatever that, that thing is to provide me that later. We are meant to find our comfort and security in God and not in money. The second thing I think we can, the a way that the, the treasure thing comes up is that um, money can be, for many of us, a source of anxiety. It's a source of anxiety. There's, it's not a coincidence that after both of these passages in Luke 12 and Matthew 6, a passage follows it about anxiety, right? The passage about, hey, the birds of the air, flowers of the field. Like if God takes care of them, they pale in comparison to value and worth as people, human beings made in the image of God. Therefore, if I take care of them and give them what they need to do, whatever God's made them to do, why wouldn't I take care of you? So don't be anxious. It's interesting that he fo- that teaching follows the teaching on money in both of these scenarios, because I think money, just thinking about it, can bring us so much anxiety. And I'll say here, um, talk about budgets. I think budgets are good. But if the budget becomes the, the end for you, if that's your goal, if like you're so freaked out about your budget and you want to look at your budget, your budget, if your budget's a source of anxiety, the budget may be your God and not God himself. Like you just want control. You just want control over the numbers. You want to know where everything goes. And if that constantly produces anxiety in you, you should ask the question, is your budget become your God? The budget is a tool for you to be able to be generous. The budget isn't a tool in and of itself to have control over your kingdom. Okay? Again, budgeting's good. It's a wise thing to do. But I do think it can become God and a source of anxiety for us. 
We can't control the future with our budget. God controls the future. We can trust him with our anxiety and not trusting our budget. Three, we get, uh, we get uh, money gives us a sense of status and worth. A sense of status and worth. Hey, we're in the, we're in the burbs here. Like we, we want approval from other people. I think most of us want that, struggle with that. Um, and there's something about money being able to buy us stuff that will make us look acceptable or good in other people's eyes. Um, isn't cl- it's clearly seen in this passage, but if you're sitting around and <laughs> you're thinking, oh, um, I can drink, I can eat, I can relax, I can just go on living like the g- guy with the barns. And there's something about that I think brings some status. Like when somebody drives by my farm, they're going to look at my barns and see, wow, that dude must have a great harvest. He must be a great farmer because look at that guy's barns. I'm sure there's some, this guy's thinking about this, this guy in the parable. So my question for you is, do you, is money an object for you? Do you spend uh, money to be able to keep up with the people around you? People that you hang out with, people that your, that your kids run around with, people down the street, the people that you work with. Do you use money for approval? It's a question, something that will um, steal um, our affection for God away from us. Our approval and worth should be found in Jesus. Not in our stuff, not what we can buy with our money to make other people think we're awesome. Okay? And this last one, it's more of, I think, a symptom of someone whose treasures may be found in money. It's just lacking generosity. Lacking generosity. Can you, do you look back over the last couple of years of, of your life, maybe, and it's pretty cut and dry. Have you been a generous person or have you not? If you haven't been a generous person, then I think a question would be, um, is, your, is money become your treasure and not God and being a generous person? Uh, one pastor I heard said it like this. He kind of said, he said, um, if uh, your, your choice of lifestyle shouldn't hinder your kingdom generosity, okay? But your kingdom generosity should hinder your lifestyle, right? So if like your lifestyle is hindering what you can do for the kingdom, then something may be a problem with your lifestyle. But if you're sacrificing your lifestyle for the sake of the kingdom, now we're getting somewhere, I think Jesus would say. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying here. I wanna make sure this is clear. He's not saying that we should all be poor. He does call some people into poverty. I think he does. But he's not saying his teaching broadly, is not to become poor. It's not that. Um, He's also not telling us to sell everything. He does tell people that. See rich young ruler in the scriptures. His money was his God, and he said, sell it. You need to sell this because you're attached to it. So he does call us some people to sell stuff, but that's not a blanket statement that Jesus is trying to make. He's not telling us that you shouldn't save, okay? You should save, but there is a point to our saving and asking the question, am I saving for my benefit and my comfort and my security? Or am I saving for others' benefit, for other people's um, comfort and security? Because that's what that parable is about. It's about a guy who was a saver. He was just saving at a crazy excess. And lastly, he's not saying, telling us not to spend. It, you can still have Jesus be your treasure and spend money, okay? It's okay to spend money. It's what your heart where your heart's going. This is why Jesus is saying, watch out. This is about the heart. It's about your soul. It goes deeper than just what we typically talk about with money. Now, that, that kind of covers what Jesus has to say about money, kind of the why. And it's a matter of the heart. That's why we started it. Now, I want to talk briefly about a few other things surrounding money that I think is helpful for us. 
think a lot of confusion out there. So first, I want to address this thing called the tithe. This thing called the tithe, okay? So the tithe um, literally means 10%. Like that's, that's like the English version of that word. It means 10%. And in the Old Testament, there's a, this, is a, this is a tough teaching topic, and I'm not going to go into the weeds here. This is the, I'm going to give you a quick overview, okay? Um, there were three tithes commanded of God's people in the Old Testament. The first tithe was 10% was to go to the the Levites who were handling all the duties surrounding the temple. The second tithe was taking 10% of anything you had left, and it was to go to a festival, a particular festival that they would have. And then there was a third tithe where you would take 10% of whatever you had left of that, and it would go to a charity, like this charity tithe that God laid out for them in the law. So there are actually three tithes, and if you look at how much total did God's people spent, give, to the, give tithing to, the, to God in the Old Testament, it would come out somewhere around 23%. Okay, so if what was the tithe, again, tithe means tenth, so we need to be careful when we use that word, but the, the God's people gave about 23% um, in the Old Testament. Okay, now why did God put that in place? I think it's important. God didn't need their money, we know that, He didn't need their money. There were two purposes. One, He knew the, pow- he knew the power that money had. Back then, so he wanted to create these guardrails, these rules, these laws to at least yearly people would not hold their hands so tight. Like these laws are put in place to have people be more open-handed with their, with their wealth. That's one reason. And then he also wanted the nations around them to see what a generous people they were. He wanted to be different in that way. Because again, it's human nature to not want to give our money away. It's not our default to be generous with money. It's our default to to spend that on ourselves and to to save it. So he wanted all the nations around his people to say, wow, this people's generous. I wonder why they're generous. And then God wanted them to say, wow, they must have a generous God because they're so confident. They have so much peace about giving their stuff away. They must serve a God who's giving them something else, something greater than their wealth. So he wanted the nations around them to, to, to see that God's people were a reflection of him. Reflection of his generosity. That's why the tithe was put into place. God wasn't primarily after their money. Now, did they do this well? Absolutely not. They failed a lot at this. If you look at any of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets were aiming right at their, their, their lifestyle of, of, of generosity, aimed at their giving. Like, why aren't you supporting the poor? Why aren't you taking care of the widows? Why aren't, why aren't you taking care of the oppressed? Because these, they weren't following the laws that God had laid out for them. And so the prophets were always coming back to their hearts on generosity. Now, that's the Old Testament. Here's where the problem comes. Do we just pull that into the New Testament? No. The New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing specifically, though. So what do we do with giving in the New Testament? Well, it doesn't say much about tithing. But if we look at the radical self-sacrifice of Jesus... We learn a lot about tithing and our culture of giving. I should just say tithe, the culture of giving. That Jesus gave it all. So he creates his culture of generosity. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, talking about generosity, but he actually talks about the gospel. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So what he's saying here, Jesus is our example. Kind of set the tithe aside for a second. Jesus is our example. What is his example? He was rich in the heavens, seated at the right hand of God, 
came down, made himself poor in every way compared to what he was, and died upon the cross for poor people. Now, this isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity thing. This isn't saying, oh, he's going to give you all the riches because Jesus died. No, he's talking about spiritually here. Spiritually, we were poor. We were wicked. We were separated from God. We could do nothing to save ourselves, yet Jesus was rich, became poor, so that poor people spiritually, people who were desperate for grace, needed mercy, separated from God, could actually become rich spiritually and be called sons and daughters of God. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. This is us receiving grace and mercy, us becoming the rich ones, us having an inheritance waiting for us in heaven when we die or he returns. This is how we become rich as followers of Jesus. But the ethic is, is because we're rich now, we look over at Jesus' example and say, because he, he, his motto, we, we are rich now spiritually so that we can be generous to the poor. We can be generous to the needy. Because money doesn't matter. We've had something so much better stored up for us in heaven. We don't need to be attached to earthly things anymore. We can be open-handed with our stuff here on earth because we have so much better waiting for us in heaven. Being united to our king. So we can be open-handed. We can be generous. This is the ethic of giving in the New Testament. It's how we are to be generous. We're united to Christ. Therefore, we can be freely, we can be generous with our stuff. Here's some, I think, fruit of people who um, have Jesus as their treasure, not money. Are you thankful? Are you content? Are you patient? Are you compassionate? Do you serve? Consistently, is that you? Thankful, content, patient, compassionate, serving. Like these, these are the fruit of people who, are, who have their, their eyes set on Jesus. Whose Jesus is their treasure, not money. And these things are kind of all antithetical to money. They're opposite of money. So the radical generosity of Jesus in giving everything away, including his life, shapes who we are now as the church, as Christians. It gives us insight into what God is requiring of us. And here's really the principle, if you want to bring over a principle. Um, The Old Testament, say 23%, was that God wanted that. 77%, 77%, the other of it, um, still be generous. There are commands all through the, the Old Testament to be generous just in general. But that, that's yours to kind of do whatever you want to. That's the Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, it is 100% God's. He, we're his bond servants. He owns us, but he's a benevolent owner. He loves us, but we give our lives to him, all of it. It's 100% his. So the principle is, then we look at our life and say, what do we need to keep in order to live on? And we start there and saying, how much of this little pool can I give God? It's like, how much of this big pool can I give God? And how much do I need to live on out of this big pool? That's really the, the kingdom ethic of giving. It's all God's. It's all his. Okay. Next question in these conversations, well, where should I give my money? If you're a follower of Jesus, where should I give my money? Should I give it all to the church? Should I give it to other things? It seems like if you read the New Testament, um, the majority of the, the, the money went to the church. If the Christians were going to give, they were going to give it to the church because God calls the church to do several things. And all these things require finances. Listen, okay? So this is the kind of the areas that money, if you do a survey of the New Testament, 
four primary categories money went to. Care for the poor, care for widows, uh, leaders and pastors getting financially supported, and the planting of new churches and the funding of missionary endeavors and initiatives. All the giving, all the spending in the New Testament from the church will fall into one of those four categories. And churches can't uh, fulfill that mandate without funding. So this is why, to answer the question, should the majority of my giving amount go to the church, I would say yes. It needs to start with the church. Um, I think that's fairly clear from the New Testament if you just do a survey. Now, can you give to other things? Absolutely. You can freely give to whatever you want to give to, but it should start with the church. Everything else should be above and beyond. Okay, so that's a very quick overview of tithing, Old Testament, New Testament, um, what, what the word says to us today. There's a lot there. We'll probably try to put something up on the blog this week to maybe help tease some of this stuff out so you can read a little bit more. I know I went really quick through that. But here are some application points and I'm done. Number one, start by tithing. Okay, I'll bring the tithing thing back into this. But here's the deal. Tithing should be like training wheels. Okay, so 10% was never meant to be the ceiling. Especially, you see in the New Testament, there's nothing about 10% in the New Testament. But I think the principle from the Old Testament, it's a good principle, okay? But it should be a starting place. We should start with 10%. It's helpful in a budget to have, like, an amount to actually drop in there. So the helpful amount, I think you start with 10%. But that's the floor. Like, some of us think that maybe that's the ceiling, but that's actually the floor. And, and it goes up from there. Okay, but, you, but if you're not giving 10%, then oh, what I'm saying is just start there. Just start there. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to talk to you college students for a second, or really college and grad students. Um, I'll say I think we have failed you guys as a church and not um, expecting more out of you in giving. We kind of, we, I've said this from the front. Oh, you guys are poor college students. You don't have any money. Yeah, yeah, but I've seen you at coffee shops. I've seen you off-campus meal plan, eating at places that I know, oh, you ain't covering. So I know you have some spending money. Most of you do. And that, the, the, the levels vary, I, I know. Here's what I am telling you, and I'm challenging you to do this. Don't wait until you're 25 or 30 when you have some money to start giving. Because by then, that, that usually doesn't happen just usually doesn't happen because you haven't cultivated that, that virtue of being a generous person. So my challenge to you is, is I don't care about the amount, college students, I don't care, but give consistently and give something. Just start now, three or four years later, you're doing that. God will do something to you in a good way. He'll, he'll create this generosity. So then when he does hopefully bless you with a job and a more, <laughs> then you've already created this culture and habit in your heart of making these decisions about money. Don't wait until that point. Um, and, and so when you're, and, and the other thing I would say to this is, is make it something that you're going to say no to. Let's just take that coffee, maybe take $5 out of your uh, food or coffee budget weekly and just say that $5 is going to go to the church. Okay. And make it something that you actually have to say no to. Cause I think that's a whole other part of this sacrificial generosity thing is when you say no to something in your lifestyle, knowing that you're saying yes to the kingdom, once again, God does something. And I think that's for all of us. When we're making these decisions, we shouldn't just say, yeah, I want that and not be thinking about, well, I'm saying no to something else when I say yes to this, when we do that financially. So I think that decision-making process should be for all of us, but college students especially, 
Say no to something, and that will cultivate that heart of sacrificial generosity. So big application point, start tithing. Start somewhere. Second, this idea of mission. I've touched on this um, earlier, but we want to be a countercultural people. We live in a United States. It's America, the America dream. Like we, 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 we save our money. We work hard for our money. We spend our money. And one of the key and really easiest ways for the church to, to, to handle money is to be generous because that, that's not natural. Most people, in, especially in our culture, they take money and kind of do their maybe retirement, these kinds of things, all of this stuff. And this little sliver over here, like, okay, this is what's left. Now I'm going to like maybe give this to some charities and stuff. That's the, the general population, how that works in our country. How different and how much glory could God get if we actually like loved him and were sacrificial with our, with our checkbooks? That would stand out. We want to stand out for something good in the church? That would stand out. That would make us weird in a very good way if we were giving our money away, if we were sharing our possessions, if we had open hands to say, what I have is yours. What do you need? What do you want? Okay, that would change. And if you, if you became a follower of Jesus, imagine this scenario and all, a lot of your friends were unbelievers and you today became a follower of Jesus, like your life would change, right? And so you, the people around you, one of the easiest things for them to see would, would be how you spend your money, right? Like that's one of the ways that the gospel is preached most clearly is how we spend our money. So just remember that God can be glorified very easily by us being a generous people. And if you look throughout the history of the church, when the church expanded rapidly, it was usually in seasons when the church was um, persecuted, marginalized, but also still very generous. And it just blew the culture's mind. Like, how can this people who's marginalized, who doesn't have power in the culture, who's being oppressed, can be so generous with their lives and their money? Blew people's mind and people profess faith in Jesus. And so we, we need some of that. We need some of that in the church. And this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll close. Um, I think after reading a passage like this, in any passage of money that Jesus really re- t- talks about in the New Testament, you have two options. You have the, the closed-handed option of like, nah, still mine. Nah, I don't know if I believe all that Jesus stuff about money. Or it's open-handed. Like, I don't think there's a third way. It's either you're closed-handed or you're open-handed. So here's my prayer for both groups. If you're, if you're closed-handed, my prayer and your follower of Jesus and your close hand. My prayer is that the gospel, the truths of the scripture would soften your heart and create in you a generous heart and spirit. It's my prayer. Like I've laid out today as best as I could what the scriptures teach, especially Jesus about money. If you're still closed off to this, my prayer for you is he would soften your heart. Okay? But I would pray that you would continue to, to think about this. Now, if you're in the other group, and I would guess most of you are in this second group. We've talked a lot about money with the building and stuff over the last couple of years. You are a generous people. You, I think you want to give. Your posture is one of open hands. And I believe that about our church. But here's what I would say to you, my prayer. Um, what's the yeah, but? I, I really want to give. I wish I was more generous, but yeah, but. I, I wish I, I, I just can't because of fill in the blank. Like, what is the thing? What's the barrier? What's the obstacle that's keeping you from being open-handed? Because we want to help. We want to help. We, this is a discipleship issue. I don't want to keep 
shame and guilt upon you because I think that's what happens a lot with money. It's like, I know I need to do better. I know I need to be given more. I, I know, but it's this and this and this. And there's just this shame and guilt. I don't want that, okay? The Holy Spirit's convicting you because your hands are open. Now let's work together as a church to help you get to where you want to go. We want to help you. There's a lot of people, when you put our body together, there's a lot of people who know a lot about money. They're good at money and are smart and wise and can help put systems and principles and things in place to help get you where you desire to go. It's a discipleship issue. And it's going to take the rest of our lives to figure this out, how to be good with money. Because, again, it's hard. And throughout the years, I've, had to, I've sought people out in this church for financial advice, for budgeting help for savings help, for, I mean, all of that stuff. I've, I've leaned on the body for help. I pray that you would too. I pray that you would too. I pray that you wouldn't be, like money is this thing where we don't want to talk about it. We think it's private. That, I don't think that should be the case in the church. It shouldn't be the case. We should have it all on the table because Jesus talks to them, let's get it on the table and let's help each other be healthier financially. Let's not hide in a corner, shameful and guilt-ridden because, oh, the church has for money, I can't give it. no. It's like, yes, I want to be open-handed, but I need help. So we want to provide that, okay? So maybe it's debt. Debt's a killer with this generosity stuff. You just, you, you gotta, you just, it's just so much of a weight you're carrying that you just can't get out of. You've, we've got to help you get out of debt. There's people in our church, I know them by, I can think of them right now, who have that as a part of their story. They worked hard to get out of debt, and now they're free, and they want to help other people get out of debt. If you need to know how to budget, maybe nobody taught, taught you how to budget. That's just a skill that you need to learn. There's half this church is probably great at budgeting. We want to help get you with somebody. They can just sit down and help you how to budget. Maybe it's making big decisions. You're just not very good at making these decisions. That's what, if you're in a missional community, small, that's, that's what that's for. Lay these big decisions out before other people who have the Holy Spirit who can pray for you and speak wisdom into that. The last thing I'll mention is just prayer. I think we could all use prayer in this area. I know, I know we could. So we want to pray for you. We want to help you sort through these things. And so um, really two ways you can do that, and this is the action step for you here. One, um, you can email finance at provro.org. Finance at provro.org. And um, that'll go to somebody, and we will get you help. So whatever it is, just you can be short with it. Just say, this is what I need help in. We will... We have people that are ready to help. They're ready to help. And you have uh, connect cards that Jay mentioned during announcements should be under every other seat. Grab one of those. If you don't want to email, because you'll forget about it, or you'll be like, ah, just, ah, so, ah, I don't think I need that much help. So if you want to do it right now, which I encourage you to do, rip that off, put your name, either your email or phone number, legibly, and put in that little comment section there, I need help, and maybe even put with blank. We'll take that. We'll take that. Once you tear that off, put it in one of the offering boxes in the back here. There's two wooden boxes against the wall um, on, this, on this wall. Just drop it in there, and we will, we will touch base with you this week to get you help. Okay? Again, we, I, mean, I guarantee about 75% of us in this church probably need help with something regarding finances. This is not anything to be ashamed about. So in no way I want us to be ashamed today. I want Jesus to be our treasure. We all want that. We want to be open-handed. So let's help each other get there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that issues like money and stuff we don't really want to talk about publicly, that you, um, in your providence and sovereignty, you are very <laughs> clear about it in the scriptures. You don't shy away from it in your word, and we thank you for that. And I pray as something 
like this, it probably brings up so many emotions and guilt and shame and um, I need to do better type statements. I just pray that um, you would help us overcome that and that we would help each other in community, not have money be such a, a treasure for us so that Jesus can be our treasure and we can be a generous people after that. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.